Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com. Republic of Spoilerverse. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Cregan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's a legend in the industry, Marv Wolfman, isn't it? Yeah, it is. This is one of the ones where my, I told my kid about it and he was excited because of all the stuff that Marv's been involved with over the last, you know, several decades of his career and uh yeah this was a lot of this interview was it, it was fun uh we got video for it so there'll be a video on our youtube page for it as well and uh marv is an interesting cat and he got a lot he's got a lot of stories yeah he's been in the business for a very long time so we we go in depth with dracula and yeah crisis of infinite earth and teen titans the judas project specifically uh his work with uh, george perez on Titans, I, yeah, yeah, with Perez, I had a I had to double think the name right, for check, some reason. Check, yeah, no, it's his Titans work was yeah. great. Juice Project is one of the like, greatest ones of all time. I like checked out for a second, going, it's uh, yeah, George, George, that George, George Lopez, right? It was George Lopez, <laughs> no, George Perez, and they worked on Crisis together. And Crisis is is a lot of fun. It's one of the books yeah. everybody growing up is uh, with my my dad. Well, you know what was good? What's funny is a lot of people during that time didn't think it was very good. It was yeah. the impact that it had later yep. from the 10, 12, and 13-year-olds that would later become the Jim Lees, the Todd McFarlane's, yeah. the, the, you know what I mean? The people, the Scott Snyder's, the people the that super are fans, yeah. now. Yeah. Yep. It's it's really interesting. It is. It is. And there's, uh, we even asked a question about uh, one of his least, his, not his least favorite character, but a character he created that uh, a lot of fans didn't really care for at the end of this one. So I won't tell you who it is, but I'll let you figure that out at the end. There you guys go. All right. Let's uh, sit back and listen to the stylings of Marv Wolfman. Welcome back. And today we're super excited because we have one of the greats. He wrote the quintessential Tomb of Dracula with Gene Cologne and... Colin. Colin, thank you. Oh, my God. Barb, all day today. Unless you hear it pronounced, you wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah, because I'm looking at it. Is it it Cologne, Colin, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I was going back and forth. There's an artist, Ernie Cologne. Perfect. And he is, of course, Gene Colon. Yeah. So, Gene uh, Colon. I almost said Cologne again, Gene Cullen, and you guys co-created Blade, and plus you've done a ton with George Perez 
And I mean, the list of cre- creations that you are a part of is, I, I don't want to leave something out and it's so expensive. I'd be dumb to even try to list them all. Uh, so we, you know, we really appreciate you coming on. What's going on today with you, Marv? Are you, uh, you having a good day? You, you, you uh, staying I'm, safe, staying isolated? I'm script and it's, I think because of uh, the coronavirus, it's just there are so many distractions that I'm not getting it done as fast as I would like, but yeah. I'm working on a script. Oh, nice. Is it something you can talk about or is it is it super uh, secret right now? Gee, I, I don't know. They haven't told me. So okay. discretion is, Maybe. The, is probably the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it to the sleeve. Don't want it. I've, I think I've only written once before. Oh, Nice. Well, then I look forward to hearing about this when it when it becomes public knowledge because this will be fun. So y- you started in the in the comic book world uh, quite a while ago, not too you know just a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, and I I think your first one and you and correct me if I'm wrong, but the first thing you done was in DC Comics Blackhawk, right number two forty two. Yeah, and how did you get into DC like that? Was it just keep banging on the door and say, read my script or did you get luck at lucky? No, it's a way that would never work again for anybody. But yeah. DC Blackhawk was a comic that was started in the 1940s and by a company called quality comics. And in fact, they really were quality comics because the book, all their books were very good. They went out of business in the early fifties. DC bought them and yeah. Blackhawk was continuously published from the 1940s onward. The only books, the only comics that were ever continuously published were Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Blackhawk. Oh, wow. That was it. Also, you know, action comics and those, but it was the Superman line of books, the Batman line of books, Wonder Woman, and Blackhawk. Everything else was canceled in some place in that area, except for and as much of a fan as I was of Blackhawk, I really did not like the new version. He became, they became characters who attacked aliens and all this stuff. And I really liked the war stories. So yeah. then they tried to do, turn the Blackhawks into superheroes. And that was awful. That's it interesting. Was horribly awful. And yeah. so I, I wrote a script and sent it in unsolicited and to fix them up, to make them better, like like I would actually be able to do that. My first thing. So, I sent it to them, never heard anything from them. A year later, a year passes, and I get a phone call from Dick Giordano, who, was, who had just been hired by DC as an editor. Dick had been at Charlton Comics, and I loved his work at Charlton. And he, he said the previous editor was no longer there, mm-hmm. and... In the back of the desk, when he sat down, because he sat, sat at the same desk at the, as the previous editor, he found an unopened envelope from me and asked, if I, and asked if I wanted him to still read it. And I said yes, and he bought it a year later. So that was sort of surprising. And Can I? It would never happen again. And I don't know why that original editor kept it. If he wasn't going to read it, why did he keep it? And yeah. if you going to read it, why didn't he just toss it away? And in fact, since it was never opened, why didn't he open it? It could have been something important. 
You know, right. You know what was right. in it. Anyway, so he that just was it. So stuck it on a shelf and forgot about it, sounds like. So you and Lynn Wine created Johnny Double. And what was it like working with Lynn? Because, I mean, he's another great guy that did a lot of, a lot of work back then. Yeah, no, we had come up with Johnny Double, and it was a great uh, – we really loved it. We sold that to, John, to Dick Giordano, too. And that was a that was a an effort by the two of us, and I thought it was I thought it worked out really well. I would have loved to have seen or gotten the okay to do more of them. I yeah, think, I think he and I would have loved doing that, and that the chance to do a non superpower detective, you know, they weren't doing a lot of those in comics at that point, and it would have been really cool to do it. And we had a great time, and I thought we did a good book. Oh, that's nice. One of the cool things I found out about you, and you can maybe elaborate, is you're one of the first people to publish Stephen King. Yeah. And, and uh, when you read his story, what was, what was that like? Well, first you have to understand, this was for a fanzine. It was a fanzine that I printed on a Ditto press, which was a very oh. cheap press that you had a, uh, you had a stencil that you were typed on. And at most, you can get 130 or 40 copies. We're not talking like some big, some big thing here. Uh, yeah, they had that heavy well, alcohol was, smell, right? When you got done with them. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It was yeah. actually gelatin. It was sort of a gelatin mold. Oh, okay. Um, that's and and the stencil was for things like typing and stuff of, of that sort. That was also it was it was a very very cheap thing because we didn't have actual good ways to print anything back then. And as I say, it was only about a hundred, hundred twenty copies. A friend of mine, uh, Jeff Gelb, who was into comics and also published fanzines, I, had pu- I was publishing something called Stories of Suspense, which was a horror fanzine. And yeah. besides, besides comic stories, it also had prose stories. Uh, Jeff uh, knew Stephen King, and King had published the story in another fanzine, but that fanzine published it serialized so uh, from what i understand i never saw the other fanzine but so they print part of it in one issue part of it another part of it another when jeff sent me the thing i thought it was really cool written by someone i didn't know it was called steve king and i thought it was cool i thought it was yeah i did change the the name of the story which was i was a teenage grave robber and i changed it to a line of copy from from the story itself, which was In a Half World of Terror, which I thought made a better title. And that was it. I published it, sent him copies. Years later, I, I met him at a book signing and bought a copy, another copy for him, but he said he still had his original. He kept it. <laughs> That's awesome. So really cool. What was it like when, you, when he became Stephen King and you saw the line of books that he did and you go, I published him? What, well, thing did was, it, did yeah. it hit you weird or...? Uh, you know, first, as I say, I never, I never met him, and I didn't really. Jeff is the one who sent me the material, uh, so I wasn't in uh, touch except for sending him copies of it. And I didn't even know that. I didn't remember year, so many years later that the guy who wrote the story in my fanzine, Steve King, was Stephen King. Uh, Jeff wrote to me and said, "Do you realize this was Stephen King?" I said, "What are you talking about?" And I, I went out and got my copy. And yeah, it was Stephen King. So That's hilarious. My feeling, though, the fun part is that years later, many, again, years later, I was an editor at Warren, Warren Magazine. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I left to go to Marvel, but Stephen King didn't know that. 
he thought because I had published his stuff in my fanzine, he had a couple of comic scripts that he sent to me at, at Warren, hoping that I would buy them. Oh, uh, wow. But I wasn't at Warren anymore. He didn't know that. And the editor who followed me never got back to him. So Stephen King told me when we met that he thought I just ignored him or something. Uh, yeah. I said, no way. We, we were only paying, I mean, really awful wages for that. So anything that was halfway decent, I would have bought. And his story was his stories would have been halfway decent. But my feeling was if I was at still at Warren when he sent it in, I would have bought him, which means he would have become an out-of-work comic book writer as opposed to <laughs> Stephen King because he would have been writing comics for me. So I think, I think he owes me an awful lot. Yeah, he can he that can he can joke. thank you for his success. <laughs> yeah, I would have bought him, he would have been out of work. Right. <laughs> when you were at Warren, what years were you at Warren? Were you there when Frank Frazetta was, was doing those amazing covers? Oh no, that was that was in the very beginning. I was yeah. there about seventy one, seventy two, someplace around there. Oh, gotcha. Just when you seventy two. You know, someplace in seventy two because in seventy two I went to Marvel. And right. the end of 72. So it was probably I was there late 71 and most of 72, something like that. So, so this is a good segue, because when you get to Marvel in 72, 73 there, you start working on one of the greatest horror books, I think, for a comic book ever written. And that's Tomb of Dracula. Thank you. I, love that series i'm 45 today so I, I i was born in 74 when i turned 12 that's when my love actually i was a little younger but 12 was when i really started getting into it into the universal monster stuff yeah. and i would watch you know dracula and, and frankenstein and bride of frankenstein and yeah, i tried reading the dracula book at that point but it was a little bit it was a little beyond me at, at the beginning uh, I went back and read it later. The comic or the, the novel? The, the novel. Okay. The novel. But yeah. when I started reading, but when I went down to my local comic book store, they had reprints of a lot of Tomb of Draculas. And I was like, I, the lady who owned it said, you should check these out because I think you'll, you'll, you'll like them because she, she saw that I was trying to get more monster ones. And um, man, I got to tell you, they're so good. I, I just felt like the writing and then of course, Gene's artwork it just melded so good together. I, I still have my number one. It's a first edition. I will never get rid of it. I absolutely love it. Jerry Jerry Conway wrote issues one and two. Oh, that's Arch right. Wrote, wrote three and four and got into five and six. Then I started with seven and I did it for eight years. Wow. When you came up with Blade, was that you and Gene together or did you come up with the concept and then Gene drew it for you? Uh, the way we worked was I would send him a very tight pl uh, plot, page by page, and yeah. everything that you saw in the book was in the original plot. Uh, Gene designed the character beautifully, but I came up with yeah, it. Yeah, he did. How nice is it to see Blade be such a icon within the community now and have very successful movies with Wesley Snipes, and now uh, a line of new ones are set to come out? Yeah, I'm really interested in uh, seeing what they do with him. I always loved Blade. I always thought he was a great character. And he was probably the only one in the Marvel Universe at that time who could have been a movie because he didn't require a ton of special effects. It was a, right. you know, uh, Essentially, it was a character who was dealing in a horror situation. And 
people have been doing horror movies forever and a little bit of Kung Fu and a little bit of the other stuff. But I didn't think of him that way. I just thought of him as a, as the vampire hunter type character, not knowing that there had never been a black vampire hunter. Right. Uh, since I never saw the Dracula movies. <laughs> oh, really? You never watched the Dracula movies and then you just uh, came up with that? That's amazing. I was older than you, so I read the novel, and I was a big fan <laughs> of the novel. Um, and everything I know about Dracula really came from the original novel. Uh, I've yeah. never seen a Dracula movie. That's cool. Yeah, I read the book You know, years later. I love that book. I still tell yeah. people you should check the it's book really out good. if you haven't. Yeah. I want to, I, you know, I, I'm trying to find not an, obviously not a first edition because that's way out of my price range, but something earlier because I'm trying to get some, some of the, like, I want to get a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and I want to get Dracula, and I want to get an older Frankenstein just to, because I don't know, I want to read the, more of the original cuts. When you started working on Tomb, and then you started doing, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm going off of some of the stuff because, you know, your your career is so big, it's hard to, to, to get everything lined down into, into 30, 40 minutes. You know what I mean? And I don't want to, I don't want to waste your time. I want to get as much information as I can about what you did during the times that you were okay. super active and what you have going on right now. You went on and did Werewolf by Night, correct? I, I was asked to write a couple of issues. I think I wrote five or six of them. Yeah. 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 And, but when you got into those... Did you have a concept of, of like some of those old? I know you didn't watch the movies, but the Universal movies were pretty prevalent then as they are today. Did you have a concept of that when you're doing Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night, and well, they're kind of pushing that exactly angle? What I wanted to do, uh, as yeah. I said, I read the novel and I wanted to I wanted to pick up from the novel and wanted to do it from that point. To me, was the only Dracula that mattered because he's the one who created it. And that was the yeah. story. So I wasn't interested in other people's approaches to the character. I wanted to come up with that. my own approach to the Bram Stoker material. If I saw the movies, I'd be mimicking the movies. Uh, but there was, uh, since I only had the novel, uh, which is the thing you actually have to follow if you're doing the character correctly, you know, I was following the original. Werewolf by Night, again, I didn't uh, create the book. Uh, right. Jerry Conway did. I never really had any viewpoint on the character. It's why I left it so quickly. I did about five, six issues. But even though it was a lot of fun to write, it just wasn't me. It wasn't, I didn't feel that I could contribute an awful lot to it the way I did with Dracula. So I got off after a few issues. You did Dracula Lives as well, like number two, and I think through number five for Dracula Lives, the magazine sized. Oh, when I talk about Dracula, I talk, you know, we did so many different versions of it. Yeah. Black and white magazines beforehand or later on, there was a set, another set of black and whites, whether annuals, all this sort of stuff. I'm talking about, I worked on Dracula, uh, the Tomb of Dracula book for eight solid years. And yeah, yeah. I did a lot of other Dracula material as well. But you, but you approached it the same way. You had an idea, you took your, you know, the, you took Bram Stoker's style and that's what you went with, no matter which version you were working on. Yeah, you know, it depended upon the time period that story took place. And for instance, I did the origin of Dracula. Uh, Neil Adams was the artist for the first one and John Buscema for the second. And that's awesome. There was nothing in the original novel about any background to Dracula uh, of that sort. So right. that, that all came from me. 
but it all stemmed from how Bram Stoker thought of the character. Oh, that's wonderful. When you got into some more of the superhero stuff, it, do you prefer working on superheroes or do you like doing more of the macabre style? I, I like doing it all. Uh, you like doing it all? I love writing the horror stuff. Uh, later at DC, I did uh, a book called Night Force. Uh, I, I like that because it's very emotional, but I really love writing the superhero uh, stuff as well. Right? One doesn't well, have to make a choice. I can, right. can write anything I could sell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're a wonderful writer, so that, that that makes it nice. When you went over to DC, you wrote some of the most, like the new Teen Titans with George Perez, and you guys came up with all these classic characters that are now well, ubiquitous they, they, with DC. They weren't classic when we came up with them. No. Yeah. <laughs> What? How did? Where? Where did the inspiration come for Raven and Cyborg? I, well, I mean, we can take it. If we can take it character by character, that'd be great. Maybe where did the inspiration come for Raven? Raven, very much out of the horror stuff that I did with Dracula and such. I had worked. I had a storyline about the son of Dracula, and loved the concept of the more human person with the who has to deal with the ultimate evil. And right. some of that came over to the Raven thing. You know, everything has a little touches of stuff in it from other places, but Raven was always going to be a young woman who is trying to survive when her father and everything else is essentially Satan. So I think you start off with a really good pro dilemma for the character. And right. the more that you can create a problem for a character, the better it is for the to explore the right in the writing of the character. So Raven is one of my favorites because her background it was too. extensively worked out before I started writing the first issue. It was very important to me to do that. Um, oh, that's cool. I, I wanted a uh, first of all originally a Raven was going to be uh, black as well as cyborg, but then decided I didn't want to have a black character named Raven. It's sort of like right. all the characters in comics that were called Black Aliyah for black this, black that. You know, we have a Green Lantern, but he's not green. And we don't right. have white Superman. Why should right. we identify <laughs> the character by their race? Right. Superman is Superman. Cyborg is Cyborg. I wanted a tech character. I wanted a character who, who comes out of... Uh, star labs and science and a very firm background but he's resisting his parents every one of the titans if you come down to it is all about the kid versus the parents so we have that in, Cy in cyborg he did not want he wanted to uh, be he wanted to play basketball he loved basketball yeah. he loved sports he's really into that sort of stuff all of his friends were into that being a scientist that was his dad's job he doesn't want to necessarily be the scientist. He wanted to be. He wanted to be the fun person. He wanted. He felt that he yeah. was, and he wanted to be that basketball player because of that. Starfire, of course, her father was an alien king, and she was in order to protect her world. They had to sell her into slavery. You know, as I say, all the characters have that problem. Yeah, the yeah. The problem. His parents were killed. It was only young versus the uh, uh, previous generation. Is there one of the characters in the Teen Titans that you identify more with than others? 
No, no, no. I, I, no, I don't write stories about me. If, you know, if I if I would, it would be obvious what the story was. I write them about the other characters, and I wrote Dracula for eight years. I'm not a vampire, as far right. as I know. <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I wrote as all far as you know. So, but they don't reflect me. Obviously, occasionally a line may come out or an attitude may come out that's similar, but it's not. I'm writing their lives. I'm not yeah. writing. I'm, yeah. Where, where did the inspiration for Deathstroke come from? Because he's a very classic villain now. Yeah. Uh, he's and is he a villain in your mind when you first wrote him? Was he meant to be a villain or more of a vigilante or, or that person that thinks they're doing right, even though they're doing wrong? I, I never thought of him as a villain. I thought of him as a mercenary. Uh, yeah. Problem with him, following the, the concept of the Titans uh, that we just talked about, the problem is that his son took on a job for the Hive, the villainous group, the Hive, to kill the Titans. His son was killed in the process. And he, being a top mercenary, was was pretty much told, you have to complete the mission. You, you want to do something about it? Come against me. I'm the best there is. <laughs> That's awesome. When In 85, you and Perez came up with the concept of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Or maybe, I guess you guys probably came up with it in 84, Published but released it in 85, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was a very expansive series. It had long-standing and reaching implications throughout the DC universe for a long time. What does that series mean to you? And, and, and really, where, did it, where, where was the initial idea even birthed from? The initial idea was to simplify the DC universe for the Marvel fans who would never pick up a DC comic. The Marvel yeah. fans at that time period called themselves Marvel Zombies. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. They, oh, yeah. Uh, that was 11 back, then. I, I, don't, I didn't know that. <laughs> they, they themselves called them that, so they would never bother to read a DC book. So, yeah. And when I found out why, uh, or asked questions as to why, it was too complicated. Why are all why? Who are all these different Supermans? Who are all these different Batmans? All these different universes? They couldn't follow it. I wanted to simplify it and pretty much try to find a way to tell them that DC had great characters. And you're not giving them a chance. So that was the idea, was to bring people to DC. And it was also a good chance for DC to restart itself because so many people were going over to Marvel and we needed something to draw them back. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that that whole concept of being able to, or that you guys even had the idea of rebooting, basically, the DC Universe, and you, that bore out this amazing story. I mean, yeah, the, the TV... Show- it. it took me a yeah. long to write it, because it's a very complex story with a lot of turns and twists. It, did not, it was not something I wrote very fast. It, it took several years. Yeah, and it was very fleshed out, right? I yeah. mean, you didn't like it's very. Like, I read comic books today, and some of the books that I've read, I feel like I'll get from one page to the next page, and and there's something missing in between. You know what I mean? And I don't know what, I, and I'll read it two or three times, going, they either took something out, or they, you know, the writer just wanted to move the story along because they're on the when they're not fleshed out. And I noticed the stories in the '80s, man, they're just so fleshed out, so much more. And when you read Crisis, there's nothing 
I mean, you have to use your imagination like you do in any, any literature that you read, but at the same time, you explain so much throughout and the stories have so much depth that it, it's, it's, it still holds up today. Like okay. the death of, of Supergirl was emotional. You know, that co- classic cover with Superman holding her is just still, you know, if you read the story, you still get an emotional attachment to it. Yeah. Well, that was the idea. The, the thought was, if we're going to kill a character like Supergirl or the Flash, we've got to earn that death. We've got he, that character, that death has to be so special and so emotional that people would come up later to me and say, I never liked Supergirl, but that was the best Supergirl story I ever read. People, yeah. because the emotion was in it. And the same with The Flash and the same with any of the other characters. They weren't just characters you killed and forgot about. They had to resonate. Otherwise, you've wasted such a good opportunity in storytelling. Well, you know, one of the things that, that DC did really good um, with that storyline is those characters stayed dead for a long time like yeah. johnny is a huge flash fan but he started reading the flash after barry allen dies and so he didn't even know about barry allen because he wasn't old enough to read crisis when it came out so when he started reading the flash it was wally west and that's who he knew yeah for over 25 years yeah it's amazing i mean it really is amazing johnny do you want to add something I was just saying, yeah, I was doing agree with you. I didn't know. I mean, I knew who Barry Allen was because my dad was a huge comics fan, but I grew up reading, you know, Wally West and Kyle Reiner and Supergirl to me was a character that existed in the past. And then, then I was introduced into like, you know, the Matrix clone Supergirl from Lex Luthor in the 90s. And it wasn't really until I was older that I went back and read the old Supergirl stories and the old Flash stories. I was like, oh, these are these characters are interesting, but they were never introduced to me when I was reading comic books because they weren't being published in the in the, in the monthlies at the time. Yeah. Well, it gave, it gave DC a chance to reboot itself, and yeah. it got, gave me the chance to do probably the most complex story I've ever done in comics. It's, there really are a million turns and twists, and my goal was to make sure, since we were trying to draw the Marvel readers over, was to make sure they could understand what was going on, despite it being so complex. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I think you pulled it off beautifully. And I highly suggest anybody listening to go out there and, and read the original storyline for Crisis on Infinite Earths. It'll make you a DC fan for sure. And it'll make you a Marv Wolfman fan because it did for me. <laughs> okay. Hey, how was it being on the TV show? I saw you on there when you when you were giving, uh, you're asking for the autograph. I'm like, that's Marv Wolfman. I can't believe they got him on. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. They called me and asked if I would um, like to do a cameo. I assumed... That you know, there'd be I, I'd be in the background of some of some scene or something like that. Right. I didn't know that I'd have dialogue, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was very scary because I didn't want to be the person who caused them to spend a fortune in in constantly filming me for every mistake I made. But right. uh, I really loved it, and uh, I, I thank them, and it's a great memory. They flew me up what? to Vancouver for it, and it was great, a great time. That's awesome because it, well, it looked like you were having fun. And so, what did you think when you watched the whole the whole series? What did you think of of how they treated your story? I mean, obviously, everybody has a different take when they're doing something in a different medium. But yeah. I felt like they kept the spirit alive. I was amazed at considering that they were using a different set of characters because yeah. of the shows, uh, a different 
uh, way of approaching some of it because of the expense. You know, it doesn't cost DC any more for George to draw 20 characters on a page or 100. But if you want 100 people in a TV sequence, you're suddenly going to be told there's no budget for it. So right. I didn't think there would ever be a crisis adaptation into any medium at all. I thought, considering that they had a different set of characters, they managed to hit almost every major beat we had in the original story. They told it differently, but they were honest to that story from beginning to end. So I was I was thrilled by it. I, I thought they did a wonderful job, but I, I think that people should go and read the original work because that will give them a, a more appreciation of what the CW and the Arrowverse did with what you did because they, yeah. they, they did a great job, but the original is still hands down crisis on infinite earths. <laughs> we have unlimited budget because it's the same cost, no matter what George and I do, it's going to be the same cost. I thought they did a great job. I was shocked that they even tried to let alone succeed at it. So, you know, I was very happy. That's cool. When you, you did some work at Disney. How, how was working at Disney? I loved it. I was a Disney fan for years. I mean, uh, I loved the old Mickey Mouse black and white cartoons. And yeah. I wasn't a big fan of the color ones, but I loved the black and white cartoons. And I was a big fan of the newspaper strip that Floyd Goffertson did. And in fact, I had a chance to meet him. Also a big fan of Carl, of Carl Barks. So That's cool. I was there as an editor. Uh, for the Disney Adventures magazine. I was the editor for that, but I also wrote DuckTales and uh, Mickey Mouse. And if one finds, like my DuckTales, which were reprinted in a collected edition, that's probably one of the most complex stories I've ever done. Really? To Crisis, yeah. Because of the nature of those type of stories, they're very, they're very plot-driven and... In fact, my editor even asked how I can how how I was able to come up with with one of the issues, but there is a collected edition of it, and there are several that reprint some of my Mickey Mouse stuff, but they don't reprint all of them. And I was doing something in order, so yeah, I was very happy with the Mickey Mouse. That's cool. I I, I never would have thought you'd be doing Disney just because of the type of stories you wrote for DC and Marvel, and I think that's amazing. I mean, I really do. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Did you get to work with? Did you did you get to see Tad Stones over there at Disney when you when you were working yeah. on Ducktales? Yeah, he was doing. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm forgetting names. Unfortunately, the Baloo character one. Uh, they had this thing set like it was a 1930s Tailspin. Event. Tailspin. I love the Tailspin, yep. uh, which he which I believe he did. Tad was also doing the Duck one. Uh, Darkwing uh, Duck. Darkwing Duck. Yeah. I think he was doing those, and so unfortunately, I wish I had a. I wish I had been able to do some of the animation, but I did a whole bunch of the comic book stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I think it would have been nice to have you in the animation too. You worked with uh, Bernie Wrightson a long time ago too, right? Yeah, did a couple things with him. How was what was it like working with with a legend like Bernie? Well, again, when we worked together, none of us were legends. I know it's awesome. I think that's what's so cool about it. I got to, I got to write. I was writing a lot of the one and two page stories for House of Secrets and House of Mystery. Uh, yeah. Or in this case, House of Mystery called Kane's True Case Files. They were just one or two page little things, 
and Bernie, they were some of my earliest stuff and they were, he drew them and they were some of uh, his very first comics. Later, we did some comedy stuff for a magazine called Blast and we did a few other things. Uh, but we were all friends. All of us knew each other. Awesome. We saw, we saw, you know, the guys, everyone lived in New York City. We all, yeah. We all were within a small area of each other. There were parties at his place all the time. So we got to know each other really well and did right till his uh, very untimely death. Yeah, it's, that's lame. Yeah, I think it's amazing that you guys all lived so close together. Some of them in the same apartment complex. I know we had Walton Louise on. She lived in the same apartment complex as Bernie when she did the modeling for that that classic cover. Was it House of Secrets 92? Yeah. And I, uh, I just think it's amazing. shared it with Jeff jo- uh, no, with Michael Luter. They shared a place there. <laughs> and, of course, Louise was with Jeff Jones. Her, her first husband was Jeff Jones. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's incredible. You know what I mean? Just all that talent right there. Do you think that well, that could ever, everyone can it happen again? Everyone was living in New York because everyone, if you were trying to get into comics, you had to live in New York. Yeah. So it's not that surprising. Everybody lived in New York. The younger people, certainly. The older ones lived in Connecticut. You know, but right. uh, <laughs> that's the same difference. Right. So, but you think with today's, with the internet today, and like you were saying, you can't just send a script to DC like you did and have that be read and actually purchased and even waiting that year in between a different editor coming in and going, oh, yeah, I like this. Let me pay this guy some something for it. That's not going to happen like that again. But do you Never think did. that – yeah, do you think what's going on today is better for the, for, for the industry or do you think it's hurting it in some ways? Well, the problem is that nobody is hired to read all that material. And the editors right. are just too busy, really, doing trying to get the books out. It's not that easy. It's a lot harder for an editor today than it used to be. So much of the stuff is now sent through, you know, email. They have to co- they have to get all the colors. They have to get a lot of the things that was not was not part of the editor's job back then. So their job fills their time completely. So who, who's going to read the stuff? Secondly, the world has become very litigious. Yeah. And if an editor was to read a a script that was sent in and doesn't like it because it's not that great a story, but five years later comes up with a little bit of a kernel of uh, concept that he doesn't even remember came from this story he didn't like, but there was one little thing that was good. He could be sued. The company could be sued. In every book, in that indicia place, it says uh, uh, unsolicited manuscripts are not accepted. Uh, There are too many problems with it. Right. That's so crazy, though, because it seems like there's a lot of people that are being left out. But at the same time, I guess if you can get online and and show people your work and get get in front of people, they're going to come to you at some point. That's how that's how it's been going. Almost all the current crew of, of writers and artists have come from producing their own self-printed books or doing a lot of stuff free or just posting it themselves on the internet. Yeah. The good talent will be found. And in fact, there's more chance of talent being found today because of the internet, because it's easier to get material to people than there was back then. There were very few people were, the companies were not even looking for writers and artists. They had plenty right. of their own. 
today they're hungry for new talent. Right. I, I gotta, I gotta ask you, I heard that the comics code authority at one point banned a book because of your name. Yeah. And I got to know what your thoughts on was it and what did you think of when it happened and, and, and what was this, what happened? Essentially, this is a time I've, I've had to answer this so many times. I'm sick of oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sorry. If you know what, we can, we can gloss right over if you'd like, because I don't want to ask a question that you've been. It's on whoever did my Facebook page. I don't know who puts the Facebook information on there. Yeah. I, no one ever asked me, uh, but it actually explains <laughs> the whole thing there. But the, the Wolfman were not accepted by the comic codes at that time. And DC had to explain that was my name. And they said, but you have to then put a credit line for him. And that's how I got a credit. And once I got it, everyone wanted it. That's the short version. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I don't want to ask you questions that you've been asked a billion times, I'm sure. That one's Which I probably already have. That's one of them. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're writing right now something that you can't really talk about. But is it a movie script or a comic script? It's comics. A comics yeah, I mean, I've I've been doing a whole bunch of these things for DC. I did a Flash story. I did a you know that came out in the Flash anniversary issue, and a, and now I'm working on some other stuff. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. When you look back at your career, is there something that's a little bit more nostalgic than than everything else? What do you mean by that? Like, is is there a moment in time of you writing and having these impactful books that you've been a part of that means maybe just a little bit more than something else? I think, you know, I love doing all the stuff. I got into comics because I love the Superman character from, from the TV show and then from the comics. I loved, uh, I, I, so at DC, I was always a Superman fan from day one, and at Marvel, I was a Spider-Man fan and a Fantastic Four yeah. fan and all, and all the others as well. When I became a writer, I fortunately also became, for the most part, my own editor. We still used the in-house editors to make sure I uh, didn't make any mistakes, but I chose what the type of material that I wanted. So I got to write to the Dracula the way I wanted to write it. No one That's was awesome. interfering with me. And at DC, nobody was interfering with me on Titans or pretty much any of the other books that I was doing at the time. So the days where I was able to decide what I was really interested in and then being able to do it are the days I'd be most nostalgic for. These days I don't get that, but I've been lucky. The editors I've been working with have been great. Yeah. Uh, I, back in the 90s, I wouldn't have said that. I would, have gotten <laughs> a rec- I would never have brought up editors at all because I didn't. Right think a lot of them were very good but the all the editors i've been working for for the last few years have been really good i've been really top-notch but that's interesting that you say that because when i think of books in the 90s i felt like they're all about the splash pages and not about as much as about the writing there's some great books that came in the 90s i don't want anybody to get the wrong idea but i i felt like 80s were 70s 80s amazing time for writing 90s kind of dipped and now we're we're back into this amazing time for writers that where you get these expansive stories i think a lot of it comes from the creator owned the creator uh, invested like using kickstarter and everything where they put a lot into their characters and character development but you and look, i think you it, look at you look at uh, some of the writers that are out now uh, yeah 
you know, whether it's uh, Tom King or Scott Snyder or Ryan Bendis or any mm-hmm. of those, they're doing company characters, but they're doing it on a level that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Just a lot of depth and just really writing those, you know, bringing those characters to life a little bit more than they did before yeah. in a literature way. And, you know, in literary sense, not yeah. just in the, in a drawing, which is nothing to take away from the artist because the artist bring everything to life. But in a liter- literary sense, it's been pretty amazing lately. Uh, Mar, before I let you go, because uh, I know it's getting we're getting near the end here. I, I, I just want to really thank you because your work has been very influential and I've read your stuff my whole life, <laughs> literally my whole entire life, Marv Wolfman has been a part of it. And I was super excited when I saw you on Crisis. I was super excited when we got to be able to see you here today. Well, Thanks thank for being you. you. I got a question to ask real quick, though, if you don't yeah. mind. So you created Danny Chase. You created Danny Chase back on um, a while ago. And there's rumors that he's going to show up on, the, on Titans Season 3. Any thoughts? What do you think about him showing up on the Titans show? See, I know the fans had a major problem with Danny. Why? They didn't give him the time to to, to develop. They hate right. him. This was the beginning of just the the internet's hate or the letter columnist's hate, where Danny was a good character. The problem was that I played him as a very nasty thirteen year old and someone who didn't want to listen, who thought of the Titans the way the Titans probably thought of their own lead characters. He thought of them as bossing him around. He was a troublemaker. He didn't learn lessons. The whole thing was you watch him, my goal was you watch him over time and you see how the innate goodness of the Titans makes him realize he's been an idiot. But (laughs) he's a young idiot. He's a young kid to learn. And when we, when George and I did the games graphic novel a couple of years back, finished up that, we, Danny sacrifices so much in that particular issue, in, in that book, that I started to get the fans saying, finally, Danny Chase is a decent character. Well, he always would have been. You just never let us get to that place. You weren't <laughs> patient to follow the growth of the growth of a character because after terror, I don't think they trusted us at all, which is fine. <laughs> That's I'm probably like, true. I, I, if is that the Jeff Johns is the person in charge up there? I'm sure he'll handle Danny correctly, but I hope I hope they realize he is a character who is obnoxious. He's an obnoxious yeah. young teenager, and he has to be put in his place, and he has to keep being put in his place, like all obnoxious young teenagers. But eventually, he would learn and become one of the most important of the characters. Nice. I got to ask, because you brought up Tara, is that one of the greatest slow burns in comic book history? We were very lucky that the internet did not exist and that Diamond Catalog didn't exist. Nobody yeah. knew where we were going. They just made the assumption, all the fans made the assumption, that like every other villain that seems to come out, she'll be redeemed. If right, that type of a character, and we said nothing. We knew what was going to happen. We said nothing. <laughs> the fans just assumed it, and there was no place to leak the information. So nobody ever got the 
ever had the slightest idea where we were going. So it was a real surprise to them. You hit him with the sledgehammer. And it's very gratifying because George and I knew from day one what was going to happen. And the promise (laughs) we made to each other was we will never fall in love with the character. Because she was lying about everything. Every time she was acting decent, she was lying. Oh, my God. It's legit, I think, the greatest slow burn in comic book history. Because it, how, what issue did, what issue number was it that it finally came, comes uh, out? I, I don't, <laughs> I can't but it's quite a few. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's not like you guys just, it's not like an arc. It's mini arcs to get to that point. Yeah. Well, that's, you had to build her up slowly uh, to make people fall for her. And you had yeah. to her waffle back and forth about all this different stuff. And think, oh, she's going to become the good girl now, but that was never got. That was never in the cards because she was a psychopath. She was insane. Yeah, yeah, she was insane. That was crazy. Oh, that was crazy. <laughs> All right, Marv. Well, I guess we'll let you go on on, on Tara being crazy, and we really appreciate you coming out today and hanging out with us. It was wonderful to see you, and just an amazing time to actually get to sit All down right. and chat with you. Thank you so much. You, you guys I hope you had care. a really good Stay time. Safe. You too. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, Marv, right before you go, can I get you to do a bumper for us? Oh, what? To, in what? Uh, yeah, all you got to, so all we're asking is that you just say, I'm Marv Wolfman and you're listening to Spoiler Country or I'm Marv Wolfman, uh, creator of Raven, yeah. Cyborg, or anything like that. You don't have to. If, you, if you're uncomfortable doing it, you don't have to. Hi, I'm Marv Wolfman. You're listening to Spoiler Country. Perfect. Thank you so much. Take care. (laughs) You too. Thanks. And we're back. We are back. I felt bad asking about his name and the... Uh, oh, the Wolfman thing? Yeah. And you're the one who told me, you need to ask well, about that. I was all right, like, all right, okay. Right. And then he was like, oh, man, everybody asked me that question. It's, ah. Here's here's the thing, right? It is... I kind of have to couldn't expect have that one, right? have him on the show and not ask that question at least a little bit. Because right. you can speak, you can read it in things, you can hear it over the places. But unless you ask the man himself, it's like, I, I just... For my own edification, I just wanted to hear it. You know, Ooh, edification. Yeah, nice two dollar word. Using them big dollar, no dollar, dollar fifty word. Let's be honest here. But, well, man, someone went to college. Uh, yeah, I did my two year degree in nine and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> but I got it. <laughs> man, you must have an art degree. <laughs> Arts and science. Arts and science. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> and science, yeah. <laughs> No, that was a lot of fun. It was it was cool to to sit back and and just kind of I don't know. You know, you don't get a we don't get to talk to people like him very often. You know, no, he don't. He's, I feel he's, like, he's a legend. Yeah, and we've had now we've had Jerry Conway on. Yep. Walton Louis Simonson. Yep. Marv Wolfman. Yep. Oh man, Jerry. Jerry so much Ordway. more. I, I don't think Jerry Ordway has played yet. It hasn't, but we hasn't. did talk to him, and you guys talk to him. have it's a lot of fun listening to him. That was a good one, and uh, it was. Yeah, there's, 
This, I mean, the people, the, the the types of people you talk to, from the from the indie people to the literal living legends of the industry on this show yep. is it's it's it, it, it's awesome. It's insane. Yeah. And I hope you guys really enjoyed that because if you want to hear more from people in the same vein of Marv Wolfman, when I say the same vein, I mean the same caliber of being that important to the industry, uh, to the industry that we love. Yeah. You know, yeah, we talk to people in TV and movies and we have a lot of fun and, and we hope to do more in all different areas. But we started as a comic book podcast because we love comic books. So it was a big deal and it was a lot of fun and we're insanely lucky. We are. And I, I if you want more, like you're saying, go to spoilerverse.com. You can check out our entire catalog of back issues there. Or you can go to any yep. podcatcher like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and, and find us there and subscribe and see all of, I think there's like 400 and some episodes now out there you can listen to of uh, the stylings of, uh, of our lovely voices here. and uh, <laughs> The, the on, smooth jazz. Smooth styles. And on there, you can hear you can hear other podcasts, you can read articles, you can read reviews and previews. And, I mean, there's just so much stuff on Spoilerverse.com that we can't even list it all out for you without spending 20 minutes doing so. So go there okay, and check show. it out. All right. I think that's a show, Johnny. That's a show. In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. Know, whatever. Open it sounds like a... <laughs> 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 hit stop. <laughs> Citizens of the Republic of Spoiler Arts, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Cregan, that's Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, <laughs> in the long line of legends of the comic book world, we bring you Marv Wolfman. I really was fighting the urge to howl right there. I know, right? <laughs> when it comes to Marvel monster books is there a bigger name than marv wolfman i don't i don't i don't think so when it comes to, to classics from the you know the bronze age of comics i mean there's a couple names that come to mind and marv wolfman is up at the top yeah a lot of collaboration with gene colin or colin or colin or i never understand how to say his last name and i apologize you know but yeah, I mean, the guy was an amazing artist, and then his collaboration with, with Marv was just spectacular. And then, of course, you know, he leaves Marvel after doing this stellar amount of work at Marvel to go to DC, and he just does it all over again. Yeah. You know, the new Teen Titans book, and <sighs> I mean, Crisis of Infinite Earth. They're hooking up with George Perez, and they hit him and Perez did some, I mean, Perez is a, is a, a giant in the in the world of, of, of comics, and pairing up with Wolfman and what they did together on, on Titans and with, with Cry. Oh my God. It just, when we got, I got, we got the call from Jeff saying that we, we booked this interview, you know, a month ago or so yeah. I was, I was like, really, is this, is this, is this for real? This is, this is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, the same thing happened when we had Walt Simonson on and yeah. And it was just like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> is this, is this Jim reality? Starlin? Wait, yeah. Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Are we dreaming? This is, this is going to be awesome. Could you imagine getting this person on and then all yeah. of a sudden they're on? Yeah, exactly.
And here, you know, Marv Wolfman is, is, is that person. Yeah. It's going to be really exciting. We're excited. We're actually sitting waiting for him to call in. Yeah. So we should be calling in about a minute. So let's, uh, let's sit back and listen. And we'll listen, <laughs> listen in on Marv Wolfman in his own words. <laughs> 